Sometimes when I'm preaching to the youth uh, at a school mass or other, I'll ask questions and in order to elicit their response and to let them think they're guiding me in the homily when you know I'm really trying to guide them to an understanding. Every once in a while I'll ask a question that, that I would hope that everyone would answer to the positive and, and often I see some, a phenomenon that occurs and I've joked about it a number of times that I call it sudden onset of arthritis where none of the adults raise their hands but all the children have their hands raised. But if I were to ask a question today, I would suspect that it would not be sudden onset of arthritis. Rather, it would be some hesitance to, uh, to admit this. And so I won't ask you to raise your hand, because I think I know the answer, but how many of you like to be corrected? Most of us, absolutely not. I know myself, even if I kind of have a sneaking suspicion that I'm in the wrong, I don't like to be corrected. I will immediately get defensive, and I will defend my position until I either, either I come to rationalize it myself out of that error, or I begin to say, wait a minute here. Something's going on. Well, in the following, uh, another question that we might ask, and there, there might be some that would answer it, yes, but how many of us like to correct other people? If we're honest, most of us don't like to correct it. Part of it is we don't like to correct people because it's awkward. We don't like to correct people because sometimes we're not exactly sure of our own position. This is where we have to make sure that we're in, in the right. Uh, and sometimes we don't like to correct people because it makes them feel bad. And yet, uh, as i preparing, I, I was re- reminded my sister, baby sister, when she was three or four, we still had her in a, not a high chair, but a chair that was a little higher at the table. And the house that we were in, there's no way that it passed code. Somehow it did. But there was an electrical outlet right behind where we sat her. And one day she's sitting there and she turns around and pulls out these two little brad nails. To this day, none of us could really understand where she got them from. Licked them both, turned around and began to almost put them in the electrical socket. Of course, we all that knew what was going on cried, No! Can you imagine what would have happened if we wouldn't have? She would have been in for the shock of her life. She would have been grounded too, but that was another story. (laughs) We instinctively, when we see somebody doing something dangerous, we instinctively cry out and try to correct them. I saw it on Tuesday night as uh, the KCs were so kind to take down this big hackberry tree to the... uh, to the east of the church. Every time uh, a branch was about to fall down, watch out! Or when the, the, with the equipment moving around time and again, the men would call out to each other to pay attention or to, to uh, gently not, not get out of the way, but uh, you know, watch out, here, here they come, or, or whatever. We would do that physically to save our bodies or to save somebody else's. We do that instinctively. And we have no qualms at all of making those kind of corrections, making those kind of announcements. So why is it when somebody's spiritually in danger, do we have difficulty? I, I admit that it's difficult for me. And uh, as, uh, although there, there was a physical element to it, I've shared this story maybe too much, and unfortunately, it, I, I still pray for the person and, and am quite upset of how it went. But he was revealing something. We had been friends at this point about six years, seven years. Uh, we had trusted each other and we shared with each other, and he was sharing about 
a struggle in his life and how he was starting to live, let's just say, not in accord with the teachings of the church when it came to areas of human sexuality. He began to share that he was going to the doctor and he couldn't figure out, the doctors couldn't figure out what was going on. He was physically sick and they couldn't figure out what was going on. There was not a, not a biological disease or, or anything like that. And, and I put two and two together. And I said, do you think that how you're living in, in discord with the Catholic faith, though, you, that, though you've been taught well the Catholic faith, do you think that there might be something there for you to reflect on? And he got very angry and defensive. And it ended our friendship. I saw him about five years after that, and he wouldn't even talk to me. My heart broke. His parents, uh, I, I knew his parents well, and his parents were able to talk to me. It was at a, uh, uh, it was a friend of mine or, or an acquaintance of mine, but they were related to this person, and I was at the funeral for this person. The parents said, he's just lost and broken. I tried to make that correction, and I didn't make it well enough, perhaps. Not that I would have been, you know, all that. But I, when we hear from Ezekiel today, we can, we can tell that there's, there's a difference. Ezekiel is told by God, if I tell you to warn someone and you don't warn them and they die, you're at fault. If, but if you tell them and they continue, they choose to ignore your, your warning, you save yourself. And this is especially important for us pastors or those in the positions of authority to remember. Uh, and I, I've, I've said it and I'll, I'll say it again. I love you, but I'm not going to go to hell for you. I hope not to go to hell, period. But... Uh, that's why I, I, I love the Lord and go to the sacraments and all that. But I, I love you, but I'm not going to go to hell. And so I'm not, if I see something that I know needs to be corrected, I need to make that correction. Even though it's uncomfortable for me. Even though it might be uncomfortable for the one receiving it. Today in this gospel passage, we have Jesus telling us, if your brother sins against you, if your brother needs correction, go to him privately. Tell him privately your fault between him and you alone. But what do we do, though? Well, we want to make sure that we're right. And so we go to our neighbor, we go to our, our siblings or our parents or, or, or a trusted friend, whoever it is, and we begin to not take the part, apart the, the, the problem in, in order to seek solutions, but we seek to find people on our side to confirm that we're in the right and that person is wrong. We demonize the other person. We make the other person the wrong one. When Jesus tells us to go to our brother or sister first, what he's instructing us to do is to remind, remember their dignity, to go to them first. And so often, how many things would be solved at that level? I've seen it time and again, somebody who, who has, uh, was wounded, and as they begin to talk it out, they realize... Oh, that wasn't how it was meant, but that's how it was received. I need to let it go. Or the person, I didn't realize that I had hurt you so by that, that harsh word. I apologize, and sincerely, there is an apology that happens. But I've also seen it where that has not always occurred. And again, you know that I, I have a saying about statistics, you know, 110% of all statistics are completely made up. But I'm willing to bet about 80% of all arguments could be solved at that first level. 
and another probably 19% could be solved at the second level. You take somebody with you, that all things can be established. I remember very distinctly, I was the one that was called in uh, to the situation. These two were having difficulty in a work relationship, and the the one who was was, uh, wounded started laying laying out her case, and the other one said, wait a minute here, that never happened. The person had created in their mind a situation of being insulted, of being hurt, of being maligned. And the other one said, I never did that. Well, when they were confronted the first time in the, in the first level, they automatically walls came up. Automatically that defense came. But by having somebody else there to hear, all of a sudden the defenses came down. And they were able to heal that relationship. But sometimes, and very rarely, does it take more. Thank God for that. But then we are called to call in the church, to call in others and say, this person is an, is, is an error, they need our prayers, they need our help. And very rarely, and I, in fact, I can only think of the case of heretics and the apostates, those who have severely uh, in error, would they not listen to the church? And Jesus tells them to treat them as we would Gentiles or tax collectors. Now, if we get the idea that we can uh, uh, abuse the Gentile or the tax collector, we can, uh, we can steal from them, we can say whatever we want about them, we can, we can poke them in the eye every time we see them, whatever it is, then we've got the wrong idea. How does Jesus deal with the Gentile or the tax collector? He prays for their conversion. He corrects them time and again, but he doesn't, at the same time, allow them into the gathering. In fact, when it comes to heretics or apostates or, or those schismatics, they're not allowed to celebrate the Eucharist with us. But we pray for their reunion with the church, their communion with us. That's how we treat the tax collectors or the Gentiles. But that still leaves a question of how do we really correct each other? How do we really correct, and I've used these questions before, and I, not that, them, that I'm brilliant or anything like that, but I, I keep coming back in my own mind when I have to do a correction. These are the questions I need to ask, and I think they're good questions for us to reflect on. The first, and of course, only if all the answers are yes, should we really correct the person. There might be, as we're going through it, we might find other solutions. We might find that I'm not the one wounded here, I'm not the one harmed, or whatever. But first we need to ask, have I been given a position of authority over this person? It might be as a brother or a sister in Christ, again, go back to the situation that I already shared about the friend of mine, that we have shared a lot with each other, our own brokenness and our own hurts and struggles. And I believed we were at the point where I could offer that correction, that I had been given some authority. What this uh, avoids is, I, I know it's a stereotypical, but the, the, uh, the, the person who asks for the manager, just because of a little wound or, or whatever, you won't give me a one-cent discount on the $1,000 purchase or whatever it is. They have really no authority in the situation, but they ask it. Then we need to ask ourselves, is, is it a sin which might be broken down? Is it illegal, immoral, unjust, untrue? 
Is it really, or is it a matter of my personal opinion? Or they painted the house blue, but I really like periwinkle instead. (laughs) That's an opinion. It's not a sin. (laughs) Even if we have some authority, it would be silly to confront the person on that. But if it is a sin, if they're putting their soul in jeopardy, then we need to correct them. We correct them if their bodies were in jeopardy. Why not their souls, which is ever so much more important? Not that the body is unimportant, don't get me wrong, but the soul endures. The body is transformed in the resurrection. Then we need to ask ourselves, are we really loving the other person? We hear about that today in our second reading. St. Paul telling us to owe nothing to one another except to love. And we, are we really loving if we allow somebody to put their lives in danger, to put their immortal souls in danger? The church, St. Paul, would answer, absolutely not. We are not loving the person if we watch them go to their own destruction. If, on the other hand, we are just want to stick it to the other person, we want to be mean, want to hurt them, want to wound them, uh, that's not love. That's something else. And until we get to a place of love, where we truly love and are seeking the other's good, we probably should keep whatever it is to ourselves. And we should ask ourselves, too, are we seeking reconciliation? Are we seeking conversion? Are we seeking to bring this person back into a proper relationships? If I see somebody who's been treating their family poorly, I have the right, perhaps, to say, you know, maybe there's a better way. And the last question we need to ask is, are we doing it in a manner that protects a manner that protects everyone's dignity. Like I said, we too often go to the gossip, the coffee clutch, and start to make the other person a monster, demonize the person, until everyone believes that we're in the right and they're in the wrong, absolutely. Might be true they're in the wrong. Might be true we're in the right. But we have no right to make the other person a demon, bad, wrong. We need to do it in a manner that protects them. And I think, again, that's why our Lord is so wonderful in giving us this model of fraternal correction that we have in this gospel passage. It's when we use this matter of fraternal correction that we most show that we love one another. Love doesn't allow somebody to go to their death, unwarned at least. Love does not allow us for standing idly by is something much more than a tree branch is heading their way. Love does not allow us to stand and watch our brothers and sisters choose a life of sin, and we applaud them. I know know this is what our culture wants us to do in areas of sexuality, homosexuality, transsexualism, abortion. The church, however, reminds us there's a better way. A better way. And that is following Jesus Christ. Sometimes there's going to be struggle. It's not going to be easy. When we correct one another, when we do it in love, it's awkward. It hurts. There's possibility of destroying a relationship. But in the end, I truly believe we'll most perfectly understand the love of Christ, who loves us, who comes to correct us, who comes to call us back to conversion, though we perhaps ourselves have done so much more than, than 
uh, the other, that we deserve so much more than to be treated like a Gentile or tax collector ourselves. But our Lord heals us. And because he's loved us, we can respond to his call to conversion. And if we love our brothers and sisters, even those in error, I believe eventually they will be led back to Christ. I pray for those that are separated from Christ by their own sinfulness, those who have rejected the saving message of our Lord, the saving message of a life given for him. Will we pray, too, for the reconciliation? But we also pray that we, too, may stand ready to warn them, ready to correct them in love, ready to lead them back. I do deeply believe if I can let the boundaries of my own heart fall, if I would not be so defensive and when I'm in error, I will understand more perfectly how those that correct me loved me. I believe that will be true for all of us when we correct one another in love or when we are corrected in love.